Hello and welcome to Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. So this is season two of the uh, of the podcast. So thanks again for joining us. Um, today we're joined by Ellie from This Girl Talks Money. So today we're going to talk about the gender investment gap. So in season one, we were joined by Antoine Allen and we covered uh, a number of um, male role models and how money affects people in day-to-day lives. Today we're going to cover the gender investment balance, what we can do about it, why it's happening and how the person at home can essentially make better decisions with their money. So thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you. So yeah, so let's um, yeah, so the gender investment gap, we did a bit of research, so the FT advisor uh, said that a millennial woman has, or that millennial women have 3.6 billion uh, invested and millennial men have 6.6 billion, uh, sorry, 7.6 billion. So there's a big gap there. We're essentially going to look at that this episode and talk more about it. So yeah, thanks um, for joining us. So first of all, tell us more about your, yourself and This Girl Talks Money, essentially why you started it and yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, sure. So um, I started the platform um, about nine months ago, okay. having had a lot of discussions with a lot of women around me who essentially have a massive lack of financial knowledge and confidence. Yeah. So I I decided that it was time to start doing something about that. Yeah. And um, I started just with a small platform um, on social media and have grown that into a blog and um, growing a community around trying to break the barriers around talking about money, yeah. also looking at the different ways that you can save money, you can spend less and you can earn more money. Yeah. So um, the investing is obviously a big part of that, um, and it's just one aspect of, of what I look at when I look at money as a whole. Yeah. So what is, why do, why do people not like talking about money? Well, um, I think the main reason is that people grow up with the perception that money is something that shouldn't be talked about. Um, We all have our own stories, which we write around money when we're growing up. Um, And whether we know that we're having these stories written or not for us, it becomes um, built around our our environment when we're growing up, our parents, um, the the attitudes we're exposed to around money so whether it's seen as something that's abundant whether it's seen as something that's scarce and we then carry those into our adulthood um, and our life and it affects how we then treat money and how we talk about it or don't talk about it in in the case a lot of the time yeah so so what would be a good someone with good um talks about it in a good way and someone talks about it in a bad way talk about abundance and scarcity that's quite interesting tell me yeah. more about that yeah so um Quite often, you know, if you grew up with messages around you like money grows, money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah, that's a typical kind of scarcity mindset. It creates yeah. this idea that money is something that um, is a scarce resource and that there isn't plenty of. So yeah. it often then results in behaviours which mean that you kind of cling on to money a lot. Yeah, um, you don't invest money, you don't spend money. Um, I guess on things that you potentially need to spend money on yeah. because you see that once you've spent it it's gone yeah. um, whereas if you see money as being more abundant then yeah. often you're more willing to spend you're a bit more free with it yeah. um, but then often that can obviously go too far the other way and you can spend money that you don't have so it's really complicated and I think that what I recommend to a lot of people is to really look at what they have learned and what the messages that they have um, have grown up with and what they think about money rather than what they yeah. think they know. Yeah. Um, and just look at their spending patterns yeah. as well and start to try and 
map out what that story that they internally are telling themselves about yeah. money is. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think you, you raise a good point there. And I think essentially the story has changed. The, the financial plan used to be easy. We talked before about my, essentially my parents' generation. You would work, you'd work all your life and at the end of that, life you would or your working life you'd get a guaranteed income for life house prices were you know relatively affordable yeah. if you had any money spare you could put that in a bank so today we're getting next to nothing in interest rates so yeah in my parents generation you'd get five percent interest rates so today essentially the rules have changed it's completely different to what we were used to previously and it's it's essentially we need to educate ourselves on how to manage our money totally. money better but yeah tell me what's um coming back to essentially gender investment gap what's what do you see the different spending patterns in say uh, uh, that you've witnessed you've seen in men compared to women or what what um yeah tell me more about that the essentially difference between the gender yeah so um i mean there the the numbers are approximately one in five women hold an investment product compared to one in three men yeah and there's a lot of reasons for this um the first going back historically being that Women have traditionally been excluded from a lot of circles when it comes yeah. to financial information, financial careers. Mm. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, up until not that long ago, women were excluded from owning financial pro- products like yeah. mortgages without yeah. a male. Yeah, it's um, crazy, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's like within our parents' lifetimes. So just pick up on that. It was in 1975. It was illegal. Uh, well, banks could actually refuse mortgages uh, to a woman without a male guarantor, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. So yeah, keep, keep going. Yeah. So um, I think there's a big element of the fact that a lot of women who are still alive today, kind of some of our parents, grandparents in particular, they existed and they've grown up in a world where they didn't really need to have financial knowledge yeah um it was always the male's job yeah um and that ties back into as well the typical gender roles of the fact that women a lot of the time were not working yeah um and so it was a man's job to look after the finances yeah um and so as we've moved towards a lot more equality um and women have very much entered the workplace then there's still a hangover in terms of that knowledge and access so even if you go into the city today there are still far more men banking than there are women for the same kind of reason um and there's still very much a sense of intimidation that i think a lot of women feel when it comes to to money and knowledge um and it's something which you can't change quickly you know we're talking about generations of of practices and norms which we're trying to undo and unpick um so i think that's definitely one reason um i think Tying into that is the sense that women are typically more risk averse when it yeah. comes to money. Yeah. Um, and numerous studies have shown that women do kind of have a more risk averse attitude towards investing. Yeah. Um, because as as you well know, you know, to have an investment product, you have to advertise that the money is at risk. Yeah. Um, and that it's not a guarantee of return. Whereas savings i think a lot of people still feel are safer despite the fact that the hard cold numbers tell you that if you're saving you're basically losing money yeah and that's mainly because inflation so if you look at inflation figures there i don't know i haven't looked at the latest ones but say they're around three to five three or four percent so which basically means if you put 100 pounds in your in the bank that pound in your back pocket that 100 pound is going to get eroded every year even so in going back to um 10 20 years ago you'd have interest rates at five percent and that would 
essentially outbeat inflation. But at the moment, every pound you put in a bank is essentially getting eroded, which is why investing is so important for the long term. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's it's very much an education piece there. That's, I think, the biggest difficulty at the moment is that women are very much you know wanting to save and wanting to grow what they have especially yeah. as we've got more and more women earning more money which is great yeah um but it's that knowledge that actually saving isn't necessarily a good alternative yeah. to investing they're yeah. very different yeah um and that with the risk i guess comes the potential for the reward yeah what i also think to add on to that is opportunity cost as well so the, the way I mean to explain more about that, so think if you go out and buy a car for say ten thousand pounds, you you drive that car out of the the garage and that's instantly gone down in value. If you take that uh, ten thousand pounds and invest it in property bonds or uh, businesses, over next twenty years time, that ten thousand pounds is going to get not just capital in growth, so the, that money is going to get in more increased, but you're also going to get dividends which is a part of the profit you're also going to get so if you own property you get rent every month so essentially you're losing money if you go and spend today that's the opportunity cost tomorrow which I it took me a while to get my head around that to actually understand that how that's essentially how money works so, so money over the long term if you invest it, it's going to grow and the essentially the aim of the game is to get enough assets or enough your your to have enough assets working for you for when you stop working. So in the old days, I would call that retirement. So now you're not going to get that money. Uh, you're not going to work. At, if you work at a company with your life, the the kind of guaranteed income isn't there anymore. But um, yeah, yeah, so essentially it's a new... It's, so my money, um, my book, Millennial Money Mindset, if you want the fruits, you need the roots. Essentially, I, I look at it from a different mindset change. It's essentially you have to think about things in a different way, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And I think the other thing that... Um, ties in, I guess, to the whole issue about women and money is um, also back to the generational differences and the fact that, especially nowadays, um, we are going to head towards a a retirement crisis. Um, And the fact that if people are not investing, if women aren't investing, then the financial stability later in life is going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible, because... um, as you mentioned, you know, we need to have the benefit of the investment over a long period of time to get the returns. Yeah. Um, especially with the housing situation that we've got at the yeah. moment, if people don't have property investments as well, it's going to end up in a situation where people are having to work until they're kind of 80, 90 to be able to afford to live. Yeah. Um, but investing is one potential way to be able to plan and to kind of hedge your bets for, for down the line. Yeah. Now, I think you you raise a good point, especially about the kind of the traditional roles of the gender roles. I was saying my my parents um, are, are quite stereotypically kind of the old old model where uh, my dad went out to work and my mum was essentially she worked and looked after us as a housewife. But it's I was saying earlier it's like in our kind of money central model it it's it's kind of strange how we almost reward people for going out and working and not kind of rewarding people for looking after the kids or doing community activity. She works as a, um, for charity as well. She worked for a charity sector, which she wasn't paid, but she did that voluntarily. And the kind of GDP model that we use as the, the kind of capitalist market that we're, that we're all in, it doesn't reward people for these roles that, uh, that are not paid, but that help society do good things essentially totally and I think there's you know there's a very kind of close similarity in the sense of how um how 
jobs and jobs that are typically gendered jobs or historically yeah. gendered jobs um, are treated and they're perceived. So, like you say, the kind of charity jobs, the caregiving jobs, yeah. um, they're very much dominated by females yeah. and they tend to be the lower earning jobs as well, yeah. um, which creates this disparate image of you know what value you have yeah um and also i guess confidence with money because if you're earning a lot more money you feel more confident you feel like you can take more risks with it yeah um so i do think it all ties into i guess the historic positions yeah no interesting you mentioned historic so going back a thousand years for instance when we all kind of evolve or growing up and evolving it was different kind of hunter-gatherer kind of positions so um i guess the it would traditionally the male would go out and hunt for the food and the woman would look after the kids because that's kind of biologically that would made more sense as we kind of come to the today's um yeah the all these things have changed at uh, doing a bit of research and it, it was actually um I was, it was like 1882 there was like a married woman's property act which is if um allowed that was the first time it allowed marriage women uh, married women to own and control their own property which is nuts and also, also reading it was a, so if a woman wrote a book and then married yeah those copyrights <laughs> would go would belong to the man and that's like 1882 that's 100 years ago it's not actually that no, long it's ago. really not and it's crazy and so in a lot of ways i think you know we've come such a long way which is brilliant yeah. um but Equally, it kind of helps to explain why there are a lot of the issues that we're trying to unpick yeah. and to move forward today. Yeah. So I read this book um, called uh, well, it's Mary Wollstonecraft, and I basically was writing my book, and I was like, I, writing my book, I was always like worried I'm going to miss out a massive piece of information. It was almost like, um, like a detective trying to find the truth, essentially. <laughs> and I, it wasn't until my last chapter that I found um, this book, A Vindication of the Rights of Women, and it kind of blew my mind about sh- um, this yeah, the kind of the gap that there was. And yeah, she kind of wrote about quite an honest um, kind of piece of, it was essentially the first piece of feminist writing. And it was, um, in essence, it was her argument was for the education of women and for the kind of increased feminist contribution to society. So it's, um, but she she almost goes it two ways. She kind of says that all these bad things are happening, like, you know, the property rights etc but yeah. she also kind of says that um for us to take for cult- the culture of teaching girls that beauty and thinness are the only meaningful qualities that there so i yeah it's i'm looking at do essentially education like what are we teaching our children as well so is it just about kind of beauty and educate or actually are we look can we actually teach something meaningful I yeah what, i mean i think i think it's it's so complicated i think that you know, back to the the typical role, you know, yeah. kids learn what they see a lot yeah. of the time. And we're back in a situation where, um, at the moment, the cost of childcare is so high yeah. that a lot of women are are having to stay at home, at least yeah. for some of the time, yeah. um, which is meaning that obviously it's not really helping to change that typical traditional position of the woman at home until I guess the there can be enough financial support so yeah. that women can go back to work full time and they yeah. can afford to send the kids to nursery. Yeah. Um that's not going to completely disappear. Yeah. And although there are more models now and like there's a lot of companies who are very supportive of shared parental yeah. arrangements, then you know, we're still fighting against this world where men typically are the highest earners. So yeah. 
um, it makes most financial sense for most com- uh, for most couples or for most families to yeah. to send the highest earner back to work. Yeah. Um, so really, until I guess the the government yeah. looks at you know the policy around childcare and around earnings and around the support there. Um, which then ties back into the education. Yeah. Um, we we're kind of fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Because I think that um, as much as we can teach children, yeah. you know, that you can do whatever you want to do. You can go to work if you're a girl. You can go to work if you're a boy. You can look after the kids if you're a boy. All of that needs to have foundations and to be reinforced by what we practice. Yeah. Um, rather than just teaching it in the classroom. Yeah. Super interesting. Oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I've, I have a child myself and I understand some of those. I pick him up from school twice a week, but I think it is changing slowly but surely. I think I definitely noticed more men in the playground than there was. So my son's eight now. When I first started it, I was yeah, one of the only, because I work for myself. Um, yeah. I have the, the flexibility to, to do that, to work for myself. And I think even the business model is changing. So I think the kind of entrepreneurial kind of, person is much it's going to be much more um this kind of entrepreneurial revolution where more and more people work for themselves or have their yeah. own companies i think the and people move away from the kind of nine to five roles i think that's kind of archaic now where you kind of have to turn up at nine o'clock and leave at five where i think companies are being more uh flexible with yeah, the kind of definitely um, child etc definitely and i think that's also part of a generational <laughs> shift in that companies are feeling the pressure from younger generations um, who are now starting to become, I guess, more established and more senior in the workplaces, that they don't want to just slip into this traditional nine to five model. They want to be given more freedom to work in a way that works for them, which I think a lot of companies have tried to resist, but they're now at a point where they can't really. Especially when they get the quality of work that they, you know, it's almost a benefit for them. And if they want the, the, the people with the most potential in their companies, then they need to adapt a lot yeah. of the time. And the, and the smaller companies, a lot of the tech companies, are winning a lot of talent because yeah. they have a more flexible approach. And that flexible approach isn't kind of reserved just for women. It's yeah. very much a female-male like, approach that means that then it gives the families more freedom over who does what job, I yeah. think. Okay, cool. So we've kind of covered the why, kind of why this is happening, kind of what is going on here and so for the person listening at home what kind of how what kind of practical steps could someone take listening at home thinking I, I've got money in savings I need to start investing or what or even just to edu- start educating themselves what would you recommend people do yeah so I think the first thing really is is education um, I think the biggest barrier to I guess starting investing is um, a lack of knowledge yeah. and fear, really. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, really, read as much as you can. Um, go to events. There's a lot yeah. of events that go on, particularly in London, um, around investing. Yeah. Um, read different books, read yeah. articles. It just engage with the subject. And yeah. it doesn't have to be really boring. And there's a lot of companies who are... Um, I guess fintech companies who yeah. are in the investing space yeah. who have got a really accessible easy to understand model um, and information on their websites and yeah. a lot of them you can start with one pound or five yeah. pounds yeah. and so I would recommend starting small yeah. um, if you aren't feeling confident about it start with five pounds a month you know that's what two coffees it's a lunch um, and see what it can do and the more you start to do that the more you'll 
build your confidence and yeah. then you can start to increase that amount slowly yeah. um and yeah you've got so many different options you know i think for people starting off investing going with a i guess a, a company that does the investing for you is much better um i think you know investing in individual stocks is much too complicated uh, yeah and it's, <laughs> you can reduce your risk by six percent by investing in 50 in the 50 companies plus don't i mean you can get fintech companies that can do that for you my point is don't invest in one company because yeah. that's super risky yeah um and yeah just have a look around um and you know money box is a, a prime example nutmeg all of those um and they and wealthify is a good one as well yeah um you don't need to go and get individual advice i think is yeah. one of the big things a lot of people assume that you know if they're investing they need to go and pay a financial advisor yeah um and you really don't need to do that unless you're talking hundreds of thousands yeah um so yeah, just kind of treat it as a bit of an experiment, I think. Um, and don't don't overcommit. Yeah. Um, start set yourself a little task every month to check in, see what's going on. And I think some of these, um, some of the companies as well, you can actually choose to invest in, you know, areas that you're interested in. So yeah. A big area which is on the rise is obviously ethical investing. Yeah. So a lot of these companies, you can now specifically say that you only want your money to be invested in ethical companies. Yeah. Um, so you can avoid all of the kind of non-environmentally friendly um, companies. So there's so much information out there and it isn't all complicated. Um, some of it is really easy to access. So just start small and give it a go I think yeah that's great so I, the way I think like you say just start with a pound coin in your back pocket the way I think I grew up in a place called Epsom which is it was famous for the, the horse racing in the derby and I never kind of understood I used to go every year and I never really understood what the all this horse racing was about and then I actually took a pound coin in my back pocket and I like put right I'm going to put a bet on and then from that not saying betting speed or anything <laughs> I'm not condoning it but like, essentially what I'm saying is that once I started actually getting involved with it and actually experiencing the horse race so to speak then I kind of like oh I started looking at the form oh maybe that horse would be better on the flats than it would be in the jumps that that jockey maybe ran and you start you start kind of by having that it's so the way I it's like education and experience equals yeah. wi equals wisdom so like if you have that experience you the way um you're, you're going to understand something on a much greater level than if you didn't understand if you didn't have that experience so it's a bit like starting a company you can i think you understand a company but when you actually start a company and, and start getting those clients in so it you understand it on a completely different level so it's yeah just starting getting involved with it um yeah i've so that's essentially why i started money tips so tax investment property pension savings we're essentially an education technology company we're looking to make education really simple fun and achievable there's loads of fintech companies which we kind of partnership with but essentially it's a, sometimes i felt like it was a bit like mcdonald's giving you kind of nutrition <laughs> advice so essentially the reason why i started money tips is because we're solely for the customer so that's essentially our, our kind of gap and we don't take any um, equity from your money which other companies do but yeah. um yeah it's, it's really about education so i think that's um yeah thank you so much for joining us have you got any uh, i usually say any books or any quotes or anything you'd uh, any funny anything funny has happened to you um yeah, I mean, I guess the one quote I always go back to and ties in to what we were just saying is um, is just start, yeah. really. Um, in most things, when it comes to money, it is about starting rather than waiting until you know, you've know you got more because there'll always be a reason to delay. Um, when it comes to learning about money, when it comes to investing, um, just start somewhere and 
you know, you'll see the fruits of your labour grow. Yeah, there you go. If you want the fruits, <laughs> you need the roots. So the quote I'm going to start is, uh, the most perfect education is an exercise in understanding to strengthen the body and form the heart. And that's from Mary Wollstonecraft, A Vindication of the Rights of Women. And it's, I would say it's probably one of the uh, most influential books in the last hundred years or, so, or the last yeah hundred years so yeah check that one out and also yeah check millennial money mindset if you want the fruits you need the roots um and a, just a sneak uh let you know I'm, I'm just releasing my board game it's almost ready to go out so super excited about that but yeah ellie thanks so much for joining us thanks for um, having me this girl talks money how would someone find that if um they were looking yeah so my website and blog is at this talk thisgirltalksmoney.com and um, on Instagram at thisgirltalksmoney. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us.